Hello, welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. This is Dr. Ishan. If you are new to my channel, welcome. If you listened to my podcast before, welcome back. So I just come back from the sleep conference, which is the largest sleep conference within America once a year. In the conference, a lot of sleep doctors discussed. Actually, a lot of people with sleep disorders get to seen by a family practice doctor first. So actually, it totally makes sense for a primary care doctor have some knowledge about sleep, so they can either treat it right there or refer the patients to the correct sleep specialist. So today, I'm gonna interview Dr. Kenneth Zweig. He is an internalist. He is an internist at Northern Virginia Family Practice Associates. He runs a full-service family medicine practice and himself specializes in sleeping disorders. I think this is going to be a great opportunity to discuss with him how to combine primary care and sleep care. Before the conversation, I want to announce my launch of the English Sleep Improvement Course and the Chinese Course as well. If you have difficulties falling asleep or staying asleep, you can check out these courses at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. For those who have subscribed my Deep Into Sleep podcast newsletter, I will draw two lucky subscribers to try this English course for free. You can subscribe the newsletter on the website deepintosleep.co. I will announce the winners in July. Thank you for your attention. Let's welcome Dr. Zweig. Hi, Dr. Zweig. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I think you are the first primary care doctor I ever had on the show so far who are really interested in sleep. Uh, that's great. That's exciting. It's it's also disappointing. I think there should be more of us, but uh, hopefully that's soon to come. But yes, no, it's really a, a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to talk about one of my favorite subjects. Awesome. So, uh, how about you start? You you share with us some observations you encountered in your clinical work, right? So, as a primary care doctor, do you see a lot of patients coming in with sleep concerns? Oh, that's a huge part of what we do. I mean, that, that, wow. you know, it, it's really interesting because uh, the way I got into sleep is because you know when I started practice, I saw people with obesity and diabetes and high blood pressure, and a, a sleep clinic actually opened up upstairs from my practice. And uh, so I uh, went up there and I realized the sleep clinics were opening up everywhere. And I started talking to the, the sleep doctors up there and realized there's more and more research coming out about sleep apnea and sleep problems and how those sleep problems are really related to a lot of the things that I saw on a regular basis. And the more I looked into it, and every time I turned around, I found another article that said, if you have high blood pressure, you know, make sure that there that there is a relation to sleep. If you have diabetes, there's a huge relation to sleep. If you have obesity, there's very often a relation to sleep. If you have depression or anxiety or heart disease or arrhythmias or pretty much most of the things that I saw, very often you could relate back at least in part to a problem with sleep. And when I started asking about it with my patients, everybody said, yes, there was a sleep problem. And so I started really reading a lot more about it and getting interested in it and realizing that as a primary care doctor, after doing this for 20 years, I'm actually not a primary care doctor. I'm a sleep doctor because it's what I see when everything comes in. So it's really become a real big focus for me. Wow, that's wonderful. I think you mentioned something really important is that you asked your patient about sleep. 
right? Okay. I can imagine if a doctor who does not know much about sleep, they may not even think of, about that direction, right? They may not ask the question. And do you think that may miss a lot of information? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a big push to, or a lot of of sleep specialists kind of consider your sleep duration, sleep quality to be what they call the fifth vital sign, uh, along with blood pressure, heart rate, you know, respirations uh, and and, uh, and temperature that, you know, sleep is is the fifth vital sign. It's just crucial. It's a huge and important part uh, in everything that we do. And so I, I make sure that virtually everybody I see, especially if it's just for a physical, Uh, but uh, almost across the board, I ask everybody about their sleep and how how it is and how they feel uh, during the day, how they feel the sleep quality is, what their sleep duration is. And, you know, a good sleep history can reveal an incredible amount uh, for your patients. Yeah. So those kind of important sleep questions, are they included in a typical protocol in the practice so far or just your practice been using it? Uh, actually, we do have a questionnaire that most people will come in when they do a physical. They do get a questionnaire and they do what's called the Epworth Sleepiness Scale during their physical before they before we see them, they have that completed. So so everybody, they, there is a question uh, about that. And, and uh, you know, depending on how they do on that, uh, we should go into that further. Um, you know, I, so I think everybody here addresses it to some degree. I take it to the next level, I think, more than most of the other ones. But, uh, but you know, it is something that we're, we learned here in my practice that is really important. So we, we make it a focus uh, for our patients. Wow, that's great. I interviewed so many people, including a lot of patients suffering from different sleep disorders for years. Many of them told me it took them like 20 plus years to get diagnosed of a certain sleep disorders. I was always amazed or surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It happens all the time. And, you know, it, 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 like I said, you know, you get somebody who's, who's had uh, high blood pressure that they just can't get under control with medications or uh, their obesity or their depression or their diabetes or any of these things. And they've been, they've seen 10 doctors and they just can't get things under control and nobody's asked them about their sleep. And, you know, in five minutes, I've figured it out that if you just, you know, they, they say they're tired all the time, they snore terribly, their wife moved out of the bedroom because you can't take their snoring and it's so obvious that it's sleep apnea but nobody ever asked them about that and so you can just figure it out in, in, in just a few questions i think uh doctors in general are starting to get a lot better about that i think we're realizing the importance of, of sleep and, and sleep disorders and and knowing that it's a really important thing to ask because you don't want to you don't want to just treat the symptoms you want to get to the underlying problem so if the underlying problem is a sleep disorder and that can solve a lot of the patient's problems and make them feel better not just live longer feel better. That's what we're supposed to do as physicians. And so uh, it really is, uh, I think, incumbent on all physicians to make sure that they, they ask that and, and address it if it's a problem. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting. I think it's equally important, right? Live longer, feel better, be happier. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also have a happy bad partner. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so how related those sleeping, uh, like different sleep disorders to those, you know, health complaints people have. You mentioned uh, obesity, you know, a lot of like heart disease, all the other things. 
Oh, it's a huge, and there's all kinds of studies that, you know, uh, they say that 80 per the studies show that about 80% of diabetics, type two diabetics have some form of sleep disorder, 80%. Wow. So you can almost say that diabetes is not an endocrine or pancreatic disorder. It's actually a sleep disorder. And there was another study that looked at 400 people who uh, were over age 50. The only criteria to be in the study were over age 50 and depression. That was it. And so they looked at those people, they did a sleep study on them, and they found that 75% of them had uh, sleep apnea. They treated the sleep apnea in that 75%, and the rate of depression went down to 4%. Whoa. A staggering, staggering, massively impressive results. So, you know, and, and there's studies like that and all kinds of things that you can see over and over again that the impact of sleep and how it has such a positive effect if, it, if it's going well and it's such a negative effect if it's not. And so, yeah, so there, there's so many things that really that we look at as heart disease or kidney disease or an endocrine disease and really a sleep disease at the very uh, at the most basic level. Yeah, sounds like sleep disease related to not only physical health, mental health, right? Uh, like basically every aspect of our well-being. Absolutely. Yeah, even financial health. They found that people who get more sleep make more money. So I just tell patients, I'm like, you know, whatever you want out of life, unless it's more TV, which nobody says that that's what they want out of life. You know, and, and so for just about anything you want out of life, you name it it will come to you more easily with more and better sleep. But talking about that, that's funny. When I interviewed some entrepreneurs before, I feel like most of them are really pursuing less sleep, <laughs> try to get up super early. <laughs> yeah, it, and, and, and that's, that is in the very extreme, the billionaires or the startups, and, and it catches up to them too, eventually too. And it catches up to everybody. And there's, there is a very, very small subset of people who can run on, you know, on fumes all the time. But you know, it, it catches up to everybody. There's, there's virtually no one who really can manage without it. Um, and you know, the average person, the average show like you and me and everybody else, we need it. And so, you know, maybe there are a few people who can, you know, just start their billion dollar startup at 25 years old and make it the, the, uh, five hours of sleep a night. But that is not the norm. Right. And they accumulate a lot of sleep debt, right? I recently read some um, really funny things that when you're young or when you're energetic, you work so hard, sleep so less. Okay, you make a lot of money. You may make a lot of money, but then you don't live long enough to be able to spend those money. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, so if, you, if you're staying up late, I would say that the other thing is that, you know, you only have a limited number of waking hours in your life. So is it worth it to use them up watching late night TV or watching Netflix, you know, and especially when, if you do that, you also don't feel as well. So you're using them up early and you don't feel as well when you could actually, if you just go to bed, get your sleep, live longer and feel better. And so overall, it's just, you know, it's, a, it's all the evidence shows it's just a better life. And we all know how, what it's like when we don't sleep well, when we wake up exhausted, you know, it's hard to think, it's hard to enjoy things, it's hard to be present. It's just not your, your body and your brain just doesn't work as well. And so it's a tough way to go through life chronically, if that's the case every day. Yeah. And without knowing, without right. knowing, without knowing it's it, it's a yeah. problem. Yeah, right. You're right. Yeah. A lot of people just get used to it. Right? Yeah. When you mentioned all these other, you know, uh, mental disease, 
uh, physical disease. I was thinking, wow, if people, someone is obesity, right? They possibly, uh, if they don't know, it's sleep issues underlying there. Then they take medications, they do all the other methods. It's not treating the target. And so the treatment possibly not effective. Yeah. And that's the other thing. I, I always tell everybody that, you know, yeah, you can take medications. You can, there's there's all these sort of quick fixes, but they're they're patches, you know, without really addressing the the the, the sleep. You know, the sleep is you know the foundation to good health. I mean, a diet and exercise are also important, but I, it's hard to get diet right. It's hard to get exercise right if you don't sleep. And so it's the cornerstone, the foundation of everything else. It has to start with sleep, and if you're not getting good sleep. You know, all the antidepressants or weight loss medications or, uh, you know, uh, diabetes medications or whatever it is that you're addressing, they might work and they can work reasonably well, but it's going to be hard for them to work well enough if you don't also have that underlying sleep uh, to, to help, you know, jumpstart the system and get things going the way they should. And then you may not even need the medication if you do address it. Right. And also, I think that for the, all the quick fix, right? I, I don't think there's so such thing for quick, real quick fix. If they can fix your surface level problem very quickly, how long the effect gonna last? Yeah, but everybody wants it. <laughs> you know, when I treat insomnia patients, I noticed everyone just want medication, want me give them like boom, 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 three method so I can fall asleep immediately tonight and uh, my life gonna be good forever. Right. Mm, right. Yeah. Of thing. If you don't put effort in, you don't change your own mind, you still want to control your sleep. And exactly. what happens? Yeah, right. It's hard. It's a hard thing. You know, everybody's busy and they're frustrated when they come in. They're already, by the time they come to the doctor, they're already exhausted and had a problem for a while. And so they just want to get it, they, they want it done now. And they're already at a point where less you sleep, the harder it is to do the things you need to do to get yourself good sleep. We all get dumb late at night. You know, the, the later it is, the, 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 the dumber we all get, right? Because we're tired. And it's so much easier to sit there and keep watching TV than it is to get up and change, brush your teeth and get into bed. It sounds like a lot more effort and a lot less entertaining, but it's just so important. So um, yeah, it takes, it takes a lot of effort to, to convince patients uh, the importance of it and to get them motivated enough to do it the right way without a without going to the pharmacy without a pill first and uh, yeah they're right they all they all want an easy pill they've seen all the ads you know everyone knows about ambien and and uh, and, and uh, sonata and Lunesta and yeah all, all the all the all the medications that are out there and they think wow this is an easy great wonderful uh drug that uh that that big pharma has given us but they really are not good medications at all they really just give you sedation more than sleep right yeah I, I think that's very important you mentioned that it's really just to put you down in a right. way temporarily yeah. right. right with possibly with a lot of side effects uh and then you still are not really controlling your sleep and you're still not sleeping well right exactly yeah you're you're out and so it feels like you're sleeping but it's not real sleep it's not the sleep that you need the deep stages of sleep and so yeah it's more just you know the drug-induced sleep which is you know, everybody knows what it's like when you drink too much you're out for the night but you do not wake up feeling good well right. these drugs do sort of the same thing oh i like that analogy yes i definitely have a lot of patients complain similar after effects when they wake up they feel drowsy and they feel right. awful yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, what kind of um, 
problems people complain to you more? Have you noticed uh, it's more like uh, insomnia or suspected sleep apnea or a lot of sleep deprivation? Is there any different portions or you just see uh, all of the three? <laughs> I, I do see them all. I see them all a lot. I mean, insomnia is definitely the biggest one uh, and, and very much so during COVID, you know, it's gotten a lot worse. You know, a lot of people have been really anxious, uh, you know, understandably so. A lot of people have been drinking a lot more. And so they have a lot of middle insomnia that they, you know, two, three drinks a night and then they fall asleep great, but then they wake up and two or three in the morning and can't fall back to sleep. Um, and so that's, you know, that's been a big one. Insomnia has been really uh, a big issue always throughout my entire career, but it's definitely taken off during COVID. So um, that one is, is really a, an obvious one. Um, sleep apnea, very few people come to me with sleep apnea. It's usually something that I tease out from patients. So if they have some risk factors or symptoms of things they talk about, um, I usually try to go a little deeper and ask them about snoring and how they feel during the day. And, uh, you know, as a family history and all the questions you would ask about sleep apnea, uh, once in a while, I'll have somebody's spouse bring them in and say, you know, my, my wife or my husband tells me that I, I snore so loud, it sounds like a freight train. And then we'll talk about that and get them in. But usually sleep apnea is not something they'll come in for. It's usually something that I find after we've talked about whatever issue it is that they came for. Yeah, sleep deprivation. That, that's a common one too. You know, a lot of people who say they, they can sleep when they're dead and, and I always tell them it'll happen more, a lot, a lot sooner than you think if you take that attitude um, and, or, or they have shift work disorder or they just don't think they don't put the, the time in for sleep because they don't think it's important. So yeah, they're, they're, you know, you see all, you see all kinds and uh, it just, there's a lot of education that needs to be done about the importance of sleep. And I think the information's out there. It's just not disseminated the way it should be. So that's part of what I'm doing and part of what this podcast is hopefully for is to get to the right people so that everybody understands how impactful it is. Yes, to increase the awareness, right? Yeah. And um, from both the providers and the general public, hopefully, hopefully everyone think uh, on that direction more. So I think that's very important and great that you are able to, through conversations, you can help some patients tease out that while there's some concerning symptoms, maybe you should check this out. Maybe you should consider a sleep study or something. Do you find yourself refer people out for further checks often? Well, what, what I what I usually do, it's depending on what it is, uh, but I'm a big believer in the home sleep studies. You know, the um, the, the portable uh, sleep devices uh, or portable polysomnogram devices, because you know it's much more real world. Very first of all, it's hard to convince somebody to go to a sleep center. They they don't like it. They don't want to go. They know they say they don't sleep well when they get there. They're required to lie on their back instead of rolling under the side or sleep in the position that they usually are in. Um, and and it's incredibly expensive. It's probably ten times the the cost of a home sleep study. So in most cases, I have uh, just a home sleep study done because the compliance of getting the test done is so much higher. Now they just ship it to their home and then they do the test and then they have the results. That's after they ship it back. So it's it's a much easier, much cheaper uh, test and uh, and much more real world. And so you know there's studies that show that patients, if you do it that way, you have a, overall a much better outcome because they're more likely to do it, even though a home sleep test may not be quite as accurate as the in-lab test. 
it's more likely to get done. And so if it's 10% less accurate, but 20% more likely to, to have the test done, you end up at, at a positive. So, so I lean towards that, except for the, the few patients where that probably wouldn't be appropriate. Okay, great that you mentioned that. Uh, actually, myself did a home sleep study years ago and uh, qualified for a CPAP machine. Unfortunately, uh, recently, my friends also are facing this choice. Do they have to go in lab or do a home test? The part of the reason is because it's really hard to get an in-lab visit. It's a long waiting period. Right. And when someone really will start worrying about their health, right, start really learn more about sleep issues, they won't get the test done as soon as possible. But, you know, at least in where I am, San Francisco Bay Area, everywhere is a long waiting list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it used to, it's funny because there was a time where all of a sudden there was one sleep study center and then another and another. And within like a year or two, all of a sudden there was one on every corner. And, you know, you get one in a day or two. And then as the, we found the, as these home sleep centers started coming around, uh, I'm sorry, the home sleep studies started getting more and more popular. Now they started to close more and more. And now it's getting harder to get the, the in-lab studies again. Uh, and part of it also is from an insurance standpoint, uh, you know, a lot of times it's hard for insurances will require a home study first um, before you can do an in-lab study unless there's a, a very obvious reason for the lab studies. Mm. So if any of our listeners are interested in getting a um, home sleep study done, what's the procedure? Do they need to go to a primary care doctor like you first, get uh, the referral or something? So it depends on how comfortable their primary care doctor is. Uh, you know, I'm very comfortable with ordering it, um, so I have no problem with it. Um, a lot of my colleagues uh, tend to refer somebody out because they, they aren't comfortable with reading the results. Um, and so I always tell them they can bring them to me and I'd be happy to read them. But um, it's, uh, you know, it does, it's not a very hard thing, but it does take practice. You know, and I've, I've done it a lot, so now I feel comfortable with that. But so th their primary care doctor would have to be comfortable with it. I think that's happening more and more. A lot more primary care doctors are starting to order the sleep studies themselves rather than referring people out. Uh, but it's a very you know, physician uh, specific thing. So, so they'd have to ask their primary care doctor and, uh, and, and then they'd either go to a sleep specialist or the primary care doctor would ask them themselves. Order it themselves, and and it's very easy. You just order, fill out a form. The physician ordered fills out the form and sends it into the the company, depending on which company uh, they use. And uh, then about five to seven days later, the device shows up on their doorstep, and with all the instructions, they put it on, they sleep with it that night, and then mail it back the next day or two, depending on how many nights they're supposed to use it. Oh, interesting. Well, sounds like very straightforward. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, okay. it's really great. Yeah, it's a big, a big, a big step forward in medicine. Right, right. I heard more and more people are doing that or more and more doctors, patients are choosing that over the COVID since the reality, right? It's, it, it, it was not very safe to go to right. in-lab study. Too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's been a, that's another one, right? Exactly. I was I was doing that that way beforehand, so I haven't seen a oh. big change. But but uh, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your practice sounds like very advanced. Like <laughs> long time ago, you already started doing all this. Wonderful. I'd like to think so. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly benefit a lot more patients that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, just to clarify, a patient cannot just go ahead order a test by themselves. It has to go through a doctor. Right. That's 
That's the idea. Yeah. Now, now it also a lot of dentists are doing it as well because oh. a lot of the dentists fit uh, their, their the mouth devices that pull the jaw forward, and so dentists have gotten into it as well. And so there's a lot of dentists that order it. Some uh, there's there's good and bad doctors and good and bad dentists. You know, some some have the right training and some just just order them. But but um, you know, I've actually gotten a, a lot of patients that have come to me because their dentist ordered the, the home sleep study and and it was abnormal. And so they uh, you know referred them to me or they tried the dental appliance and it didn't work or, or it was they didn't tolerate it. And so they came to me as the next step. So yeah, so there's a lot of, like there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of a uh, lot more awareness out there than there used to be. Right, that's great. But it sounds like not all the doctors who refer patients to there can read the readout and help the patients explain what the readout means. I know a lot of these tests they come up with a report, but nobody explained that. Right. So for patients, if they are not familiar with sleep field, those numbers could look really strange and new to them. Right. Yeah. And there could be a lot of scary things on there, that, you know, that, you know, they'd say, you know, if you have an arrhythmia, this might be wrong or might suggest an arrhythmia. And then they get nervous about that, even if it's not there or, um, you know, there, there's a, depending on how the report is, is written, there could be a, it can be daunting or it can be scary. Yeah, so right. you definitely make sure you interpret it correctly. Yeah. So when, let's see if um, dentists refer some patients to you for the next step, what are some things you normally could help them with as a, from a primary care point of view? So a couple of things, you know, the, the gold standard, obviously, is the CPAP, you know, Darth Vader mask. And so that's gotten a lot better um, because now they have something called AutoPAP. And it used to be at CPAP, you could only figure out the, the C stands for continuous. And so you would have to titrate uh, the pressures in a lab to figure out what the appropriate pressure was. But now they have these auto paps, which instead of continuous pressure, they have auto pap is a continuous flow where so the, the machine makes sure that there's constant flow of air depending on what the pressure is. So it'll adjust the pressure and make sure that the, the air continues to flow. And so the nice thing about that is you don't need to titrate it. And so in the continuous pressure, it assumes one size fits all. And it depends on how tired is the patient? Did they have something to drink that night? What position are they in? What happens if they gained weight or lost weight? What if they're in stage three or and REM versus stage one? And all those times need different pressures. And so the auto pap adjusts for that. And so, you know, I, I used to find myself sending people back for uh, CPAP titrations after they lost weight or gained weight or, or, or they didn't feel like it was working as much. And with the auto pap, it's big advanced, they don't have to do that anymore. So that's been really nice. Um, some other things that obviously we mentioned the, the mandibular advancement splint or device, the, the dental appliance that can pull their, uh, their jaw forward and pulls the tongue away from the back of the throat. Uh, and uh, that is uh, another good device, usually for mild or moderate sleep apnea. It doesn't work as well for severe sleep apnea. Um, and those are the two main ones, uh, as well as weight loss. I mean, weight loss is the big one. Uh, if they're overweight, not everybody's overweight with sleep apnea, but if you're overweight, losing weight can make a big difference in your level of sleep apnea. It can make it less or even go away. So those are the things that I usually address. Once you go from beyond there, 
there's a dozen other things that can, they can do. You know, there's tongue stabilizers and there's uh, uh, the Inspire, you know, which is the pacemaker for your palate, you know, where they, they surgically implant a, an electrical device. You know, there, there's all kinds of other things that are out there that may, nasal valves, surgery. And so you can do a whole lot of other things that really weight loss, CPAP and, and uh, the dental appliance are, are the main main approaches that I use. Mm, great to know. Sounds like depends on how severe you are, right? There are a lot of different options you can do and can go to doctors. If their doctors are trained or with a lot of sleep knowledge, then can really help them navigate all these options. Or else as a patient, I would imagine that's going to be so confusing. What should I do exactly? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Another fun one that that's come out, and I don't know if you've seen this much, but there's some evidence now that just doing some mouth exercises and breathing exercises actually can help, especially with mild or moderate. Um, you know, there, there's nobody out there that really teaches it. Or you know, you try to. I, there's not any uh, respiratory therapist or physical therapist or anybody that around here that really helps teach the patients that. But there's some handouts and things that we can give them uh, that can also help. And that, that's sort of exciting because it's free, not so hard and, and reasonably effective. Right. I actually heard about that. I'm not sure whether it's the same thing, but I heard from parents since I treat children also clinically. Some parents told me their younger children got diagnosed with sleep apnea and then they have specialized uh, speech therapist teach the children to move the jaw and do some kind of practice with their mouth every single day. But that sounds very painful because that practice and teaching going to have to last for several years to make a long lasting change to their airway and tongue and all the other positions. So at least from my patients, sounds like a very big burden for both the parents and the children. <laughs> It, it is right. Yeah, it's hard to get people to do the, their exercises and things they should do, but it's a nice option uh, if if they can do it. And so, you know, at, at least it, it is it is something that is, is simple and cheap uh, and, and and can work. Something to consider, right? I, I think every every treatment option. Again, there's no easy, quick fix. We all have to put effort in to do some work. Right. <laughs> exactly. <you>. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but it's good to know about the auto-PAP. Uh, I think the, the CPAP I got with the CPAP, I definitely find adjusting the pressure all the time is very exhausting and you have to find the right doctors to do, especially I have family members in China who need that and they could not find doctors to adjust it because sleep disorders, sleep treatments are not very popular there yet. <laughs> so I'm wondering, is the auto-PAP um, something you can just, a uh, patient can just buy on their own or is need a prescription from a doctor? Uh, well, actually it's, it's hard to get anything right now because, uh, I don't know, you're probably aware of the, the Phillips recall. You've heard about that. Yes. I heard about that. Over. I did not yeah. dig into it. I was surprised when I saw that. They yes. are such a big brand. 
Uh, well, they're, 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 they're one of the two top brands. Right. And so because of that, they had to have two over 2 million devices were recalled uh, because of a filter that was off-gassing a mildly toxic uh, chemical, but they, they, you know, but if you use it over time, it could be, it turned out to be a bad thing. It was, it was very small, but it's, a, it's something that should be recalled. But as, as a result, right in the middle of, of our supply chain dysfunction, that 2 million devices get recalled. Now it's been so hard for my patients to get devices. So it's been really hard. Now, you can, under normal circumstances, yeah, you can get whatever you want on Craigslist or you can go to this place called cheapapp.com. They can go and they can buy it themselves. You know, you'd have to know what what pressure settings you need, what size mask. And I mean, so it's sort of difficult. And obviously insurance isn't going to cover it if you order it yourselves, but but it would if you get an order from the doctor. But yeah, they can go and get their own, own machine. And for people who don't have insurance, uh, that's what I tell them sometimes is look on look on Craigslist or try to get a used machine if you can find one. Um, because, uh, you know, it's, it's better than having not having anything. But uh, but yeah, it's hard to get machines right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, on one hand, we find the problem, we recommend the treatment options. On the other hand, how to get those treatments. There's always barriers. I heard barriers like uh, have symptoms from symptom to get a diagnosis, right? That's a huge barrier already. And then from diagnose to find the right treatment is another big barrier. Yeah, it is. And, and it's frustrating because now patients who already have their CPAPs are being told these machines cause cancer. It's incredibly small. It's something like one in 8,000 people if you use the device for uh, three years. So it's, it's an extra two, two or three years. I can't remember exactly what that was, but it's an extremely small risk. But if you're the one out of 8,000, it's not so good. And, and it's scary to use something that you know you're not supposed to use. But the other option is to not get adequate sleep. And so, you know, they're kind of stuck and they're all in a holding pattern. But it's waiting for the machines to be replaced. So, you know, it's anxiety inducing for a lot of my patients. And it's frustrating not being able to get them the device they want. Right, right. A lot of decisions have to make, right? Um, yeah, and especially I know a lot of people with sleep disorders tend to worry a lot, especially if they have some kind of insomnia problem in the picture. Uh, they already start worrying about their health too much. They worry about how sleep may impact their health. Now they know there's a chance for me to get a cancer. That's horrible. Right. It is horrible. I know. Yeah, it's tough. Then we're the ones that had nothing to do with it, but we're left holding the bag and trying to explain what we need, what the patient needs to do next. So it's challenging. Right, right. So I know your practice has a lot of different services, right? What do you find really helpful to incorporate in your own practice to really help all the staff, all the providers uh, understand the importance of sleep and really incorporate sleep? aspect in all the like medical treatment? Uh, so uh, like I said, one of the things we do is we always ask a sleep questionnaire for everybody who's getting a physical. So I think that's really helpful. Um, and then the other thing we do at our practice that we started during COVID that we've decided to continue with now is we have a town hall once a month where we do a Zoom meeting. And uh, you know we started it just to give our patients the opportunity to ask us questions and to hear about the latest with COVID so we can help allay some of their anxieties. And as things went on, everyone 
got sick of COVID. We didn't, we ran out of things to say about it. And so we used it as an opportunity to move on to just educate our patients around whatever the topic that we wanted to talk about was. And so we've had a few of our town halls about sleep now and, uh, and, and it's been great. And I think that's the really a, a great way, you know, doctors always have specialists coming in and talking to each other. We teach each other through grand rounds and you know, journal club and all these other things that we have where we teach other doctors, but this takes it instead of having them come and just teach the doctors it goes to the patients too. So it's a nice collaboration with specialists around us and with what we do, and then also to help teach the patients and, and, and show them the importance of sleep or whatever the topic is that we're, we're bringing up that month. And so uh, that's been a fun addition and a nice addition that we've had um, you know, in the last uh, couple of years. Oh, okay. That's wonderful. I think uh, it's a very great opportunity for the patients to have this chance, right? To really see different providers, ask all kinds of questions. They're not easy to do. <laughs> right, right. And then they can chime in. They can ask questions too. You know, they don't have, usually people don't have a lot of opportunity and you don't have a, you know, if you only have a quick visit, you know, to the regular doctor or the specialist, they don't use it, not usually able to ask a lot of questions. And so this gives a, a great opportunity to, to educate the, the patients about whatever it is they might be dealing with and let them ask questions about it too. Right. So there's another question I have observed actually from my friends recently. Several of my friends, they all get pregnant. And during the pregnancy, they all end up having this uh, hypertension, right? I was wondering, I think I read some literature a long time ago about pregnancy, sleep problem, and, you know, your blood pressure, all, all blood sugar level, all those different things. So I'm wondering in your practice, to your knowledge, whether there's any uh, link there and for pregnant ladies need to really uh, be more cautious about Oh yeah, yeah. So there's there's people who have hypertension. That's you're getting a little bit out of my area of expertise now. Is I don't see a lot of pregnant women. Um, <laughs> they don't. They go to their OBs usually. But um, but certainly you know there is hypertension in pregnancy. Uh, but the more concerning one is that you know they can have preeclampsia, which is a you know a dangerous uh, condition that's hypertension and can result in uh, you know kidney problems and other things. So they they should get their blood pressure checked regularly. Anybody who's pregnant and uh, um, you know I'm, I've not seen anything about preeclampsia associated with uh, um, sleep disorder uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was but I'm not aware of that but uh, certainly yeah I mean you know been, when you're pregnant you know heartburn and just back pain and you know big big basketball in your belly and certainly it's it's hard to sleep I remember when my wife was going through it and you know, she would wake up at two in the morning starving and I'd hear the you know the crinkles of a little candy bar and she'd eat a, a next to me and uh, eat that too so you know it, it, it's hard to get sleep when you're pregnant so that can certainly affect your blood pressure and, and many many other things right 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 yeah great so uh near the end of the show there's a uh if our listeners want to learn more about your practice or if they are they want to seek your help how can they find you and your practice Okay. Yeah. So uh, we are in Alexandria, Virginia. Our practice is uh, at uh, Northern Virginia. It's Northern Virginia Family Practice. Uh, and the website is nvafamilypractice.com. And uh, you can go on there. You can see a blog that I write under the uh, name of uh, Ounce of Prevention MD. Uh, and uh, also see our town halls and uh, see how to get in touch with us if you'd like. Please check it out. 
Wonderful, wonderful. Do you have any last wisdom to share with all the audience who are listening, no matter they are providers themselves or they are, you know, um, curious audience? I, I think the big thing is that, you know, medicine, I would say medicine is not that hard. You have to exercise, eat right, and get plenty of sleep. And if everybody did that, I'd have a lot more free time. There would be a lot fewer patients in my office. And so, you know, start, it all starts with sleep. Make sure that you're getting at least seven hours of sleep a night. And if you do that, like I said, there's everything in life should improve. Wonderful. Yeah. That, that reminds me of that old scene, one apple away, keep doctors away, right? right, right yeah. <laughs> I feel like it should be 10 more minutes of sleep a day, keep doctors away. <laughs> exactly. That's right. That's actually a great statement. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming and sharing all this with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I think I learned a lot. If you like my podcast, please consider leaving an honest review on any of the platforms you use to listen to this podcast. Your review will help my podcast reach out to more audience. For the rest of the year, I have a lot of great speakers lined up to come to the podcast. If you want to listen to any specific topic, or if you want me invite any specific guest to be on the show, please email me, let me know. My email address is ishan at mindbodygarden.com. Remember, before the holiday July 4th, I will draw two lucky subscribers from Deep Into Sleep podcast newsletter and win who gonna win the free access to my insomnia treatment course. I'm so excited to work with you and help you with your sleep. So this is Dr. Yishan. Thank you for listening to Deep Into Sleep podcast. I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.